7.35, after more than two months of probing, an investigation committee looking into an alleged judge's blacklist claims to have found files exposing how the former administration kept close ties with the Supreme Court, as well as files detailing liberal judges' activities, even though there's no mention of an actual blacklist here. Let's unpack what we do know with Professor Choi Hee Kyung from Hong University Law School. Uh, thank you very much for speaking with us. Good morning. It does seem to be a rather ambiguous conclusion. You know, we've got these documents, we've got the background of the judges, we've got the suggestion that liberal judges were targeted. But investigators, as I just pointed out, are reluctant to use the actual word blacklist. What Can you tell us a bit more about that? Right, yes. Um, so we now know that the former administration under Park geun had maintained a blacklist of people whom they deemed to be uh, critical or uh, against the former administration, and um, whether it be in the area of arts or in the sciences, etc. And these people who were on these blacklists actually suffered um, disadvantages, um, such as uh, you know being refused funding that they uh, were entitled to, etc., etc. But in this uh, judicial probe, uh, that we are currently discussing, there is no evidence that these uh, liberal judges who whose activities had been monitored, etc., um, that they actually suffered any uh, particular disadvantage in terms of being denied promotion or other kind of um, disadvantage. And I think that's the reason why they are not calling this particular document blacklist, but simply that there were certain... Um, activities uh, that were indeed going on in terms of monitoring um, liberal-leaning judges and also um, it's essentially sort of the court bowing to the pressure of the administration. But in your opinion, what's the difference here? What what would an actual blacklist have meant for them? I think an actual blacklist would have meant that... Um, the judges who were on that blacklist might have actually suffered some sort of um, prejudice or disadvantage in terms of their promotion. Um, for example, judges are, um, you know, sent appointed to different posts um, every, say, uh, you know, um, three or four years, and they actually have an annual performance review every year and. Um, if they were to call this list a blacklist, um, I think we sh- we need to see some sort of actual evidence that they had suffered disadvantage in terms of ne- not getting a promotion or being demoted or being sent to undesirable posts, etc. And right now, we don't actually have any evidence of that. Yeah, for example, they they found restored computer files. And, and this data that was collected, but it wasn't enough to suggest there'd been illegal surveillance on the judges or, or that uh, the former Chief Justice had, had abused that power, right? That's exactly right. So um, although they have found evidence of um, monitoring what uh, liberal-leaning judges were doing, what they were saying um, on judicial bulletin boards and elsewhere um, and, and things like that, they haven't been able to pinpoint exactly that this was done illegally uh, or that the former Chief Justice had 
actually abused his powers. Um, but the question still remains, you know, why do they collect this information uh, if they're not going to do anything about it? I mean, certainly they're not uh, you know, just sitting there with time on their hands. And this sort of information was being collected for a reason. And so naturally it raises certain suspicions. Indeed. And, and that's what I'm sure many of us were thinking just then as, as we heard you speak. But but um, the probe committee did also reveal that they found a document hinting the Blue House exerted pressure in the trial of former NIS chief Wan Zehun. Uh, and, and he's someone who's continued to uh, come under scrutiny, of course, uh, since then. But um, it goes back really to before Park and Hay's election as president, uh, the suggestion that he had overseen uh, a political campaign to try to help her win that election when uh, Imi Ambat was still in charge. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, NIS is supposed to be strictly politically neutral. They're not supposed to be involved in any kind of political activity. But there was these, um, there were these allegations that the former NIS chief, Mr. Wan, was involved um, in helping Bakunay's campaign, and he was in fact tried. And the uh, the the at the first trial, first instance. Uh, it didn't go so well for him, and he was indeed actually found guilty. And so um, on appeal, I think the Blue House was quite concerned to make sure that he got a more favorable hearing and uh, that they were, in fact, um, looking at, you know, which, who were the judges who were going to be sitting on the on the appeal and whether there were ways to ensure that... Um, former chief, uh, Mr. Wan, would actually get a better outcome than in the first instance. Yes. But it didn't quite work. So, Well, putting pressure on a Supreme Court decision on, on a matter of that magnitude seems to me to be as serious, if not more serious, than an alleged blacklist. Absolutely. This goes to the heart of the very foundation of our... Um, know model of democracy which is uh, which is founded upon this idea of separation of powers and checks and balances between um, or among the different branches of the government and for the executive uh, branch of the government to you know exert pressure and thereby somehow control the judicial branch really goes uh, to the heart the very foundation of our democratic uh, process and principles. And if we look at the whistleblowers here, early last year a number of judges claimed then Supreme Court Chief Justice Yang Sung Tae did manage this list of judges deemed critical of the judiciary's leadership. Um, what was, the, you know, going back to the start of that story and, and when these issues started coming up, what sort of power does a chief justice have that, that could have made them so concerned? You know, the position of chief justice in South Korean judiciary is unlike any other chief justice um, position that I know of anywhere else in the world. Um, imagine, you know, there are about 3,000 judges currently in the Korean judiciary. Imagine one person being able to appoint every single one of those judges. 
And that's the kind of power that the Chief Justice of um, Korea has. Mm. Obviously, he cannot do that himself. And so there is a separate division called the Judicial Administrative Division within the court system that actually looks after these um, all of the judicial appointments. And since um, the Korean judiciary is organized a little bit like a bureaucracy, judges are promoted um, every few years. And every 10 years, their appointment has to be renewed. And so, uh, you know, um, every judge has to be concerned whether their tenure is going to be secure, whether they are going to be reappointed, whether they're going to be uh, promoted the next round, all of that. And so naturally, they end up having to sort of look at, well, what kind of preferences does the chief justice have if they care about their career? And, I mean, now we've seen, of course, the current Chief Justice Kim Yong-soo open up many of these older allegations, even though um, we'd seen a probe committee under then Chief Justice Young conclude any alleged blacklist was was groundless. There were no reasons to think that that existed, apparently, according to them. Um, but but now, under the new Chief Justice, while we're not using the word blacklist, we have seen uh, these old stones unturned once again. I mean, is that problematic in itself, with all these allegations of political motivation and and with Chief Justice here still being such a powerful position? Well, you know, these allegations are actually not not that old because it really all came to light um, around last March, February, March, mm. when the um, the the court um, a research group among the judges called the International Law uh, Human Rights Law Research Group actually tried to put on a seminar, um, and then one of the judges found out that the court administration division was trying to kind of prevent that seminar from happening because they were concerned that this was going to be critical of the chief justice um, and certain practices that were ongoing uh, in the court. The problem with the um, the previous probe committee under uh, Chief Justice Yang Sinte was that they had no access to any of the evidence whatsoever because the administration division simply didn't cooperate. And even this time around, um, they were very much hampered. The, the probe committee was very much hampered in the investigation because they weren't given um, access to all of the files that they needed to look at. Um, uh, I understand that there were maybe around 700 different files that made might have been related to the to the investigation, but they were only allowed access to less than half of that. And even among those, um, you know, 300 or so files that they had access to, there were a lot that they couldn't even open to look at the content uh, because this current investigation wasn't a, um, a compulsory one. They were investigating only with the cooperation of the, the court. And so if this actually went to, you know, the prosecution department and they uh, conducted proper investigation, they might even end up with, um, you know, further and greater evidence of uh, wrongdoing by the former um, chief justice and the former administration division uh, staff. So this is just really the tip of the iceberg. 
Well, thank you for taking us a little bit below the surface on this as well. Professor Choi Kyung from Hong Kong University Law School. Always a pleasure to have your expertise on the show. Thank you very much.